0: Is Isaac Morehouse? Welcome to the podcast where we discuss education, entrepreneurship, big ideas, how to put them into practice in the real world, and above all, how to live free. All right, hola, hello, welcome back to the podcast. This episode is just going to be me, no guest. This is a Ask Isaac sort of combination episode. We have a whole lot of great stuff to cover. Muchas casas hoy as they would say in Ecuador. I think I actually don't know. that's probably the incorrect way to say uh, many things today. I'm not entirely sure, but that's that's kind of my greatest strength with the Spanish language is um, not my accuracy uh, at all, but my inability to be embarrassed. So I just say stuff. My wife will be like, you just you just called that man a woman. you said or you know, um, you said she wants, you know, whatever, this kind of food when you're talking about our son, I'm like, Oh, well, I don't care. He obviously figured it out. He brought shrimp and rice. You know, we got, we got accomplished what we needed to, who cares what words I'm using. Obviously this person understood me. I rely on the goodwill and forgiveness of those around me. Okay. So today first, um, I want to mention, cause I don't mention it often how grateful I am to Tim LeVan Miller for what I think is our awesome intro music. Uh, It's a mixed bag. People either love it or hate it. It's like, you know, turn that rock and roll music down. But the song that starts off this show that you just heard, it's got a cool name too. It's called Frontier Justice. I love it. Tim LeVan Miller was on episode 40 of this show talking about his life as a full-time musician and full-time accountant. And speaking of, Tim Levan Miller, I was just, uh, I went up to Atlanta a couple days ago, and I was at a FEED event, FEED, the Foundation for Economic Education, FEED.org, go check it out, great organization, sponsors of this podcast, they had a one-day entrepreneurship seminar with the Georgia Cyber Academy, and I went up there and, and gave a talk, um, had a really great time, but I brought my daughter with me, my six-year-old daughter, Eden, and we're driving, so we've got this four-and-a-half-hour car ride, and we're driving, and she's looking at the music on my phone, and she's like, what's this, who's this guy? Oh, that's that's Tim. He's a friend of mine, and he's a musician. And she was just, like, captivated. Really? What does he play? What does he sing? Can we listen? So we put on uh, one of his albums. I think I had, like, both of his albums on my phone or or all three. So we put it on, and she's just captivated. Is he playing the drums? Is he singing? Is he playing the guitar? And I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure he does most of it. And she's like, wow. And she's just listening. And she doesn't say anything. She's very quiet. She doesn't say anything, but she wouldn't let me change it. She just wanted to listen to it. To Tim, And then I said at one point, hey, you know, Tim helped me record a song. I recorded a song one time. Do you want to hear it? And she was like, I guess. <laughs> and so I put it on. And she said one thing during the whole song. She said, who played the drums? I said, that was Tim. And then as soon as it was over, I said, did you like it? She said, uh-huh. Can we listen to your friend again? <laughs> so TimLeVehanMiller.com if you want to hear his music and find out why my daughter likes him so much and uh, episode 40. So – uh, thanks Tim for the great intro music and the transition music in this show. Transition the little funky beat between breaks, and I don't even know if that one has a name. I also want to thank Lov Kosakijevich. Lov, I know I probably didn't pronounce that correctly, but my uh, I don't even know what language it is. Lov, it's it's no better than my Spanish anyway. Um, so Lov is the producer of this show. He does all the editing of you know the the music and the sponsor spots and all that stuff he puts them up on soundcloud he writes the show notes does a phenomenal job okay that's it for all this prep stuff now we've got some good questions in the ask isaac queue i got kind of behind i haven't done one of these episodes in a while but um i'm gonna catch up i got i think four four good questions in there maybe even more than that five or six i'm gonna get to them all i'm gonna try not to take too long but before I ask and excuse me, before I answer questions, I want to ask you just a few questions. Number one, I'm going to ask you, if you like this podcast at all, go to iTunes and rate it. Give a review and give a rating. I think we have half a dozen or more ratings on there, all five stars so far, um, from my five friends and family members that I paid off. Uh, go, go on there, give a review give an honest review and uh, give it it some stars. That'd be great. It's also on YouTube, it's on Stitcher and SoundCloud, so if you prefer those platforms, um, go for that as well. Number two ask if you are interested in public speaking, you wanna get better at public speaking, I am about to launch a public speaking workshop online. I'm gonna have a limited number of spots, like 10 to 15 people, and it's pretty cool. It's an online version of something I've run in person dozens of times for hundreds of people. And it's really, really effective. I've been through it myself several times. Um, and I'm not running this because I'm the world's best public speaker at all. It's not It's not really about that. It's, it's a series of really basic tips and, and advice. And then you give a short speech. You submit it to get feedback on some specific things you can improve. You do a second take. You submit that and get some final advice. It's really, really good. You will improve. So anyway, if you're interested, shoot me an email. IsaacMorehouse at gmail.com. Just shoot me an email, and I will get you on the list for when the course comes out to let you know, because it's going to be all, only a limited number of spots. I'm kind of experimenting here to see how it goes. I don't know. The workload might be kind of crazy with reviewing everybody's speeches, but I want to I play around with it. So, and then the final ask is, I have a monthly newsletter, and I do a review of a book or a movie or some piece of media every month. And last month, I actually did short reviews of 10 books, the 10 books that I read while I was in Ecuador with my family. Um, it's a lot of fun. I actually put a lot of work into it um, but it, and it doesn't show up anywhere else. It's not on my blog. it's not publicly available. It's only if you sign up for my email newsletter because I want to have something special. If you're gonna if you are going to entrust me with your sacred email address, I want to give you something good every month in return. All right, let's get to some questions. First, I'm going to answer a couple lingering general questions that have been hanging around that I haven't asked. Uh, one, my friend Jeff Till, who has a podcast called 500 Years, great podcast, he said, hey, when you do these ask episodes, why don't you number them like you do the rest of your episodes? Um, well, the main reason is when I when I started, and actually still now, I have this process. I'm very, very type A. I'm very sort of you know retentive, and, and I have, and need all my stuff organized. My process has to be right. So I usually have episodes recorded. One, two, three, even four weeks in advance because I never want to get in a position where I'm like, oh, no, I don't have one to to come out. And they come out every Monday. And those are almost always with guests. And This is an exception. I'm using this as a a Monday episode um, in place of a a traditional one. And those I always have lined up and I save them and I tag the file with the name of the episode, you know, episode 60, uh, with the name of the guest and everything. And those are all in the queue. And then Love, you know, edits them and does all of his stuff and gets them posted with show notes. And then I do the Ask Isaac episodes just kind of on a lark, on a whim. I look at the submissions on the website where people can submit questions or things people have emailed on Facebook to me. I kind of add them up. And if there's one I want to respond to right away, I'll just record an episode on the spot. And sometimes I'll just make it go live any old time. And so it would throw up my whole uh, uh, mix up, stir up, mess up, mess up. There's the word. It would throw up. That's bizarre. Um, it would mess up my whole numbering process and my whole system if I was just inserting them all the time, because then I'd have to go change the numbers and everything else. So I just let those be free flow. I can post an Ask episode anytime, and it doesn't mess with my flow. And most importantly, I don't have to alter my all-important spreadsheet at the feet of which I worship. I don't know what, what the feet of a spreadsheet would look like, because they kind of are infinite. There's no bottom. Okay. Uh, another general question, how was your trip to Ecuador? Lots of people have been asking, and I've even teased and said, oh, we're going to do an episode, my wife and I, where we recap the trip, what we learned, what we did, um, because before we went, the final episode of 2015, we talked about it, and and she even agreed, on the air, I might remind her, that she would come on and, and talk about it, and maybe even record an episode in Ecuador. Well, that's never happened. She's like, well, I want to do it when, you know, the kids are in bed and quiet, and Nobody's sick or anything, and it's in the evening, but it's not too late, so I'm not tired. I've got a glass of wine, and things are quiet and calm, and, um, you know, I'm not hectic or distracted or stressed about anything. And uh, so, in other words, conditions have not been correct. And that also means we'll probably record that episode sometime in about 15 years when all those conditions are met. So, in the meantime, how was Ecuador? Really short and dirty. It was very hard. In a lot of ways, primarily because we had kids and us. Everybody was getting sick, like multiple times. And that just made everything really hard. The First place we stayed was a bit too rustic for a family. We moved to a second place, which was awesome. I love it. I would love to go back there, um, you know, from the get-go, going there and knowing what we know now. Totally worth it. But if you want to hear more about that trip, I was interviewed on the World Wanderers podcast, which is produced by uh, Praxis participants, um, Brian Ferguson and Amanda Kingsmith. And it's a phenomenal show, really well-rated travel podcast. I don't know when the episode's going to go live, probably sometime soon, but uh, World Wanderers podcast, go check it out. And we spend like an hour talking about uh, my Ecuador trip with the family. So that's my answer to that one. Okay, let's get into the questions from the website. First question from the website is from Charlie Rulin. Charlie says, my daughter is getting ready to graduate high school. She's a solid B student, but like me, has no idea what she wants to do, quote, when she grows up. Neither do I. I hope no one ever does. Uh, She's an only child, musical and artistic, not really business oriented, as the school economics class turned her completely off. Uh, That's my first indicator. If an economics class turns you off to business then you're probably not getting a correct view of either economics or business or both. They're very different things. Okay, or at least that's the way it seems. But she's young. She thought maybe nursing. We visited the University of Alabama and looked at their program. Now she's not sure. She thinks she wants big college, Greek system, the typical college experience. However, I went to UC Berkeley, and I know from experience how little college contributes to one's education. It was fun enjoyable, and enjoyable stimula- and stimulating, but in the final analysis, my time could have been better spent. Just saying. And so my question is: Would Praxis be a good fit for my daughter, and vice versa? High school has been a terrible experience for her. One reason being, she doesn't see how it fits into the real world. She's very smart. If she doesn't, if she already has realized that, uh, and the teachers do nothing to encourage adventure and travels upon the road to find out, as Cat Stevens once said. Anyway, I love dropping the Cat Stevens reference in there, Charlie. Let me know your thoughts on whether an average B student without a clear path would benefit or even be a candidate for what you're doing. Thanks in advance, Charlie. Okay, so this one, I actually, I got this while I was in Ecuador. I was really busy, and I thought, you know who's really good at answering this kind of stuff? My colleague, T.K. Coleman, our education director. So I shot it to T.K., and I said, hey, you want to take a stab at giving an answer to this? Um <clears throat> And I didn't know if I was going to have time to do an episode or not. So this is, this is TK's answer that I'm reading. Thanks for reaching out, Charlie. I appreciate the passion you have for helping your daughter think clearly and creatively about her options. She sounds like a talented girl. With the right direction and support, I'm sure she'll find the path that's perfect for her. It's not uncommon for someone to be turned off by business because of their schooling experience. Entrepreneurship is supposed to be about finding your passion and translating your strengths into opportunities to create value for others. Traditional schooling often misses this point by overemphasizing jargon and technical details at the expense of helping students figure out what they love and what they're good at. And one of the best ways to figure out stuff like that is by trying new things and seeing how it feels to take some creative risk. Sounds like that's what your daughter really needs. She needs less experiences in which teachers tell her to study things she doesn't care about, and she needs more opportunities to do exciting work. This is definitely something we could help her with. Our approach to education is all about using knowledge as a tool for self-discovery and personal development. We build our curriculum experience around what young people are actually interested in. And I wouldn't worry so much about her being an average B student. Some of the most creative, ambitious, and remarkable people are the very ones who fail to stand out in systems that are designed to breed conformity. The real marker for her potential is her willingness to focus more on what she wants than on the arbitrary roles society wants her to play you'd like to connect us, I'd love to connect, and we can talk more about how Praxis might be a good fit. Okay. I love it. I think TK does a great job of answering there, and I think, I think the, the core of what he's saying, it's so, so powerful that all that matters for success in your career is your ability to create value for others. And so in terms of finding your career path, your life path, how are you going to have a fulfilling life and to make a living? Do those two things have to be connected? All that becomes so much more clear when you realize all well, that matters, can I create value for others? And then you can say, OK, well, what do I bring to the table? What do I have that can be valuable to others and to whom is it valuable? And if you're only looking in terms of predefined careers or jobs, you may think I don't bring much value to the table because you're measuring yourself against experts, against people with more experience, against, you know, someone in this directly competitive zero sum mindset of, well, I don't bring much to the table as an accountant because I don't know anything about it and I'm young and I don't have a degree. Because you're comparing yourself to somebody who has all those things. But if you say value creation, is there an accountant somewhere? who I can create value for. And when you're young, you have this amazing secret weapon, which is called nothing better to do, right? (laughs) That's a simple way of saying your opportunity cost is low. So you could say, hey, that accountant, he can probably manage his own schedule better than I can do it. But when he spends an hour managing his schedule, his opportunity cost is very high. That's an hour he could be billing $150 or $250 to a client to, to do work for them. So I can come in and say, hey, it'll take me three hours to take what what it would take you one to do, but I can do it for 10 bucks an hour, or I can do it for free because my opportunity cost is low. So I'll free you up to do something more valuable, even though you're better than me at both things, right? Comparative advantage here. And I will gain valuable knowledge in the meantime. I'll figure out if I like this, how good I am at it, can I get better? Is it enjoyable? Or do I want to move on to something else? And using that process of elimination, one of my favorite phrase in life philosophy don't do stuff you hate right as long as you don't hate it give it a try see if you like it so that exploratory mindset how do I figure out how I can create value for others doing something that I don't hate that's really what it's all about Um, in practice that's a huge part of what we do is say let's get you in a business and have this experience and see what do you like what do you like about the business what aspects of it are, are cool and interesting you know think about how to create value for them what does that feel like what have you discovered about yourself Can't figure that out looking at a course guide or uh, what thing to major in. Thank you, Charlie, for the question. Okay, next up we have, and this one I'm not going to outsource to TK, uh, but TK did a great job. Sometimes I just want to outsource all of the uh, questions to him. We have a question from Carrie. I would like to start blogging every day and was wondering if you could discuss how you come up with ideas on a daily basis. Do you just wake up and write, or do you have an ongoing list of ideas that you pull from? you try to keep your blog in a certain niche of ideas, niche, 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 doesn't matter, don't judge me, or just write about whatever you think of? Thanks. The answer, Carrie, is yes. <laughs> I, so I blog every day, um, and in my ideal world, my ideal day, I wake up, I have uh, you know a uh, little food, a cup of coffee, maybe get outside for a few minutes, get some fresh air. And then I sit down before I do anything else before I look at emails or texts or boxer messages or jump into to the response mode as Robert Fritz, uh, The Act of Creating, I think it's called the Act of Creating. Robert Fritz the I don't remember something about creating a good book by Robert Fritz, but he talks about response mode versus creativity mode. Before I get into response mode, I want to sit down, put on my Moby playlist. I always listen to the same playlist when I write. It's really helpful. and I just write a blog post. And I usually just stare at a blank screen on my WordPress account and just think, okay. And I always try to ask myself that Hemingway question. What is the true – write the truest sentence you know. Okay, right now, what is it? What is true to me? Is there something I've been thinking about? Is there something? And maybe after a couple minutes, I just start writing, and then something comes out. Now, that's my ideal, and it feels amazing when I do it. It gets me on a great pace for the day. Sometimes the stuff I write is good. Sometimes it's not. But I get going. I check it off my list, and I move on. But I would say that's only about two-thirds of the time. The rest of the time, I might have um, I have a bunch of drafts. At any given time, I have like three to 15 drafts in my WordPress account. And that's when I am in the shower or on a walk. and I get a burst of ideas for one post or three or four posts. Or when I'm listening to a podcast and it's giving me all these ideas or reading a book, I'll go open up WordPress, usually on my phone app. I'll create a draft, and I'll just give it a title. And the title will give it the topic that I was thinking about. Or maybe I'll put a few bullet points there. And I've always got a stable of those in there. What's weird about those is those are the hardest ones to turn into posts. Because I write really well in the moment when the ideas are coming to me, I'm writing them as they're coming. I have a hard time with an idea I've been ruminating on and it's been sitting there and then I come back to it and it's not in the moment of inspiration and then I have to approach it as more of an intellectual discipline instead of like a uh, like let's just write what's coming at me on like a gut level discipline. Um, and that's harder. It takes more work, but those are often better posts too, uh, content-wise, because I've had a lot of time to kind of ruminate in there. Um, so that's another method, and it depends on how busy I am. If I'm really busy uh, and I'm not consuming a lot of content, I have to go and use up those drafts. And if I haven't been reading or listening to podcasts or taking walks where I get new ideas, I will start to run low, and I'll just start completing all those drafts, and I'll get down to like no drafts left in my draft box, and I have to you know start start from scratch again every morning. Um, which I kind of like. It's not a bad thing. It's hard, though. It uh, definitely is. And, and it's not, you know, when I say I get in the mode of inspiration, it's not like it always feels like, yes, this is wonderful. Sometimes it's like, um, so blogging every day is really hard. This made me think about how things that are hard are sometimes good, but sometimes not good, right? It's like you just, you just have to push sometimes. You really have to force. But those are the days where you feel the best, too, because you know you made yourself create as a discipline creating as a discipline you made creativity subservient to you and that's the skill i want to cultivate that's why i blog every day uh, in terms of oh yeah and i would say you've got to be consuming content you've got to you'll run dry you've got to be constantly consuming reading books listening to podcasts, you know talking with people uh, give yourself time to just walk and think freely that if i'm doing that regularly i never have a shortage of to write about, uh, as bizarre as it sounds. I mean, I even wonder myself, like, how can I keep writing every day? I've got to run out of stuff. But I'm processing stuff every day. So do you try to keep your blog in a certain niche of ideas or write about whatever you think of? Um, I basically try to write about whatever I think of. I really do. I have always said I write for me. I don't write for an audience. I don't write because I'm trying to do a specific thing to appeal to a specific audience. I want to write for me and furthermore, I always want – if you define yourself as one thing, you'll feel those walls closing in and you'll feel trapped. Like, oh, no, I can't reinvent myself. This is what I've been defined as. And it's, and it's been successful. Oh, no, like people started reading this. Now I've got to be the guy that keeps writing this or the girl that keeps you know doing that, producing that. I really, really rebel against that kind of thing. I feel very trapped. My probably ultimate core value in life is freedom. And I want the freedom to be and do whatever I want. I actually like – Uh, writing songs and poetry i don't think i'm good at it at all uh it's sort of embarrassing but i occasionally do that usually every sunday i'll write like a little poem or a haiku on my blog and that's not because i think that adds any value to my brand or is consistent with the other stuff on my blog it's because it's a part of me that i like and i want to express and i want to keep fighting to maintain space to be that because what if someday i decide to go full-time into trying to to be a, a songwriter or something like that like i want the freedom to do that, I want to keep aspects of myself alive just enough. Now, that said, there are things that I don't write about, um, partially by choice, but mostly just because I don't enjoy writing about it. Um, I don't like to write about politics. Uh, I write about ideas that are sometimes bump against politics, but I have a rule. I never mention a politician by name. I try to do what I, what is like a cardinal sin if you want to get published in third parties. They always want like a current events hook. Can you tie it into a current event? How about you write, instead of just writing about this principle of transaction costs, write about you know this latest thing that happened yesterday with Bitcoin or something like that. Now, occasionally, I'll see stuff, and I'll be like, this is really interesting, some current event, and then I'll be like, this reminds me of some broader thing. But I mostly try to do the opposite. I try to write stuff that's about a general principle or something that is interesting to me and will always be interesting to me. I find it really tiring to try to write about things that are only relevant now and won't be relevant in six months or six years. I want to write about concepts that are always relevant. And I can tie them into things here and there, but I really don't care for that type of writing. So I kind of write on big principles, if you will. Um, And my blog, it's really fun to just write whatever you want and then see what theme develops. When I first launched it, I thought I had to pick a theme. What is the theme of this blog going to be? What am I going to write about? Um, And that was just stressful and horrible, and it made it too hard to write. Instead, I'm like, I'm just going to write. And my blog sort of developed its own theme. Uh, And that later, I added the subtitle like four years later, which is like uh, entrepreneurship, education, big ideas, like, like the same as the podcast. That emerged on its own. So hopefully that's helpful to you. I would just say the biggest thing, start blogging every day. Tell someone, tell everybody. You're going to do it for 30 days. Start a blog, and then you're publicly accountable. Everyone can see if you did it or you didn't. Do it for 30 days. No matter what else you do, do it. I'm telling you the rewards are huge. If you want a little inspiration, pick up a very short book called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Chapters are only a couple pages long, and it will kick your butt and help you become a creative beast. Peter Niger, another blog-related question. How do you handle editing your blog posts? Do you finish a post... Then go back and reread it and edit. Do you edit immediately or let it simmer for a process, or do you just post without editing, like I tend to do? Um, yes, <laughs> I I tend to do best. <coughs> excuse me. I tend to do best when I just write it, and then I usually do one quick reread and edit it, and then I click publish, and then usually after I publish it, over the next day or two, if I see people sharing it or commenting on it or whatever. I'll go click on it again and try to read it with fresh eyes. Read it as if I saw it posted on Facebook and went and read it for the first time. Instead of reading it in the – something about seeing it in the editor on WordPress, I, like, see it differently is when I see it as a published post that I click the link from on Facebook, and I read it, and then I usually catch, like, five, six, seven, ten typos or things, and then I'll go in, like, and edit it then, or else – you know, I'll edit it months later. If I see an article of mine posted somewhere, I'll go read it. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's, that's all off. I forgot about that. And I'll make a quick edit. Um, you know, n- not content, but just to the uh, you know grammar and things like that. So, yeah, I usually just write it out. Sometimes as I'm writing, I'll, I'll look over a sentence a, a good a couple times and try to figure out how I like it. Um, and then I do one. Sometimes I don't do any proofreads because when you have to blog every day, you just crank it out there. Um, and I know my stuff has a lot of imperfections in it. Um, but I usually try to do one read through and then publish it. And then I like to reread it again after it's published, um, to see if I'd see it differently in some way, uh, if I have time, but that's, that's kind of how I do it. I'm a little bit haphazard to me. Shipping it out the door trumps everything. And if I focused on perfection, I'd probably never publish anything because my writing is never perfect. and probably never will be. Uh, Philip Gross, can people not be the right fit for a startup? What is one characteristic someone needs to have to thrive in a startup? That's a great question. I mean, it really depends on how you're defining a startup. I mean, I would say, first of all, yes, you cannot be a fit. Like, there's, I don't think there's anything that every person is a fit for, right? Not everyone's a fit for uh, sales. Not everyone's a fit for a very large company with, you know, a Fortune 500 company style workplace. Not everyone's a fit for – there's a lot of things – So not everyone is a fit for a startup. If we're defining startup the way that I like to define it, Paul Graham talks about uh, startup, the the core definition. Uh, We have our four-part beginner's guide to startup series on this podcast, which I encourage you to check out. It's amazing. Really, really awesome stuff. But in that, we discuss this as well. Startup, I think the core definition is fast growing. And that's the focus. That's what they're trying to do. It's growth, growth, growth at a very high rate. Um, like Exponential rate is the goal. Uh, So not everyone is a fit for that, um, I don't think. Now, again, there's so many kinds of startups these days. Like you can have a startup in just about any industry, and you can have a lot of different kinds of cultures. But if we're thinking in the sort of traditional – I don't want to say traditional because it's pretty new. In the current conception of a startup, tends to be tech-based, software-type thing or services, um, tends to have a huge uh, tendency or or ability to grow – probably has some venture capital that's been raised um, you know and it has that kind of fast pace like okay we are we're on six months of runway we've got to you know get we've got to triple our user base in that amount of time. I think that's an environment that a highly path dependent person who's like just tell me exactly what to do to achieve a very stable income that's going to last me for 10 years um, was going to have a hard time on. And if that's you First, I would say uh, if that's only you because you've been forced on the school conveyor belt system and you don't know how else to think, see if you can rewire your thinking um, because I think it's going to be easier for you uh, in the economy at large. But if that's you because that's really who you are, that's okay. All that matters is self-honesty. Figure out who you are. What are your preferences? Do you value being a part of something awesome that grows fast or that could fail or that's risky or whatever else? and having a work environment that is a certain way, or do you value uh, stability, or do you value being completely independent? Because if you're in a startup, you're not necessarily independent, like if you're a freelancer or if you're a founder, especially if you have board members, venture capitalists, you've got you know growth targets that have to be met. Um, that can be really stressful. So maybe you just want to be a freelancer and have more flexibility. I think you need to know yourself above all. What's one characteristic someone needs to have to thrive in a startup? You know, I don't know if I have enough startup experience, exposure, whatever, to give you a really informed answer on this. I mean, from my own limited experience, I think an incredible eye for value creation and ability to prioritize. If you can identify within a company that's trying to do a million things and has things flying everywhere, okay, here's an opportunity to create value. And furthermore, compared to all the other things I could be doing, this is the most valuable one. That's huge. If you're just waiting, like, tell me what to do. Do you want me to create this? Do you want me to do this? That's okay. But in a startup, especially if it's small and early stage, you need people because not everyone knows what to tell you what to do to be able to identify, Hey, we should be doing more of this and less of this. Hey, here's an opportunity to improve this. You have to have that sort of eye, that judgment, that ability, you know, the kind of person who like sees opportunity places and sees ways things can be done better and, and is able to measure. You don't get stuck in like, Hey, this could be better. Therefore I'll spend 100% of my time on it. Well, if improving that by 5% gets you, you know, 2% increase in revenue or growth, and improving something else by 1% gets you 5% increase, right? You got to pick the latter. So being able to judge which activities are worthwhile as well. Um, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. All right. That is it for the questions today. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. Once again, Go review the show on iTunes um, or YouTube, Stitcher. Check out the public speaking workshop. Shoot me an email if you're interested, isaacmorehouse at gmail.com. Go to isaacmorehouse.com, sign up for my newsletter, and send me new questions anytime. I always love to hear them. Uh, It's a blast to try to answer them. So thanks for listening.